Exodus 14, it's been a while since we've been in Exodus. Um, the quick review is that Israel has just left the land of Egypt. They're headed into the wilderness, um, and we'll pick up in uh, chapter 14. This is the word of our God. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Haharoth, between Migdol and the sea in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea, for Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people, and they said, What is this that we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot, and took his army with him, and took six hundred chosen chariots, and all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he pursued the people of Israel, while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. And the Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army. And they overtook them, encamped at the sea by Pi-Haharoth in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes. And behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all of his hosts, his his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. And the angel of the Lord who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was a cloud and there was dark. But it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove back the sea by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were split. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all of his horses, Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging the chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. 
of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord. And they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Sends the reading of the Lord's word this morning. Let's go before him and ask him to bless it to us. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would teach us what you desire us to know about you, that you would remind us of your power, but that we would be moved from fear to faith in you and in your promises. Lord, guide us and bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you're anything like me, uh, you might have, at some point in your life, imagined yourself in this scenario. There's a terrorist, he's got a gun to your head, and he's saying, either you renounce Christ or you die. Maybe you've imagined that, maybe you haven't, I have. Um, Imagine what I would do in that day, and obviously I'm the hero, um, and I beat him up or something. Um, but clearly when we're, I'm imagining this or when we're imagining this, this is a romanticized sort of crisis, right? We're the clear hero. The terrorist is the clear bad guy. Bad guy loses, good guy wins. Everyone's happy. But that's not the actual crisis points of faith that we come into contact the most often. That's probably, Lord willing, not going to happen in our lifetimes in America. Lord willing. There are crisis points of faith that we encounter every day, often. And it's not always, but the crisis points that we come into uh, contact with are often when God leads us into a hopeless situation. What do we do when we're stuck between a rock and a hard place and God has got us there? When there doesn't seem to be any way out and things are crumbling around us and not even our best efforts are saving the situation. What do we do? We probably accuse God of trying to ruin our lives. We probably lash out at the people around us. We probably push away the people who love us and are trying to help us. This is the actual crisis moment of faith. It's not the terrorist with the gun to your head. It's what do you do when things are crumbling and it's hopeless and you're stuck? What what drives us to react in this way? Why do we accuse God? Why do we lash out? Why do we try to hurt the people who are trying to help us? The answer is fear. Fear drives us because we feel out of control. When we feel like a cornered animal, we try to control the situation by lashing out, by flexing our claws, by hurting the people that we think have got us into that situation. So fear is a defense mechanism. So the question is, how should we actually respond? How does the Lord want us to respond when... When things are not full of flowery goodness. 
the Lord is about to teach Israel how. Because Israel has followed God. And they have found themselves stuck and in a hopeless situation. There's no human way out. And so they respond with fear. But despite that, God, through an absolute miracle, delivers them safely. But the crossing of the Red Sea in Exodus 14 is more than just deliverance from a hopeless situation. The Red Sea crossing is is like a movie playing out uh, on the big screen conversion and baptism. And then the crisis points of faith that every believer will encounter throughout their lives. Because God is teaching his people and he's teaching us how we're to respond when we find ourselves led by God into that situation. So to summarize, in Exodus 14, God delivers his people safely through the waters of judgment into new life. We see that God delivers his people safely through the waters of judgment into new life. So first we'll look at at the threat that Israel is facing and how they respond. We'll see how the Lord delivers them. And we'll see how that affects Israel and what that teaches us, uh, how we we should respond. So just another quick review. In chapter 13, when Israel leaves Egypt, they are guided by the pillars of cloud and fire, which means they are being led by God himself. God's presence is leading them through the wilderness. And remember that we talked about how the cloud represents the Spirit of God. And when the Spirit of God shows up, often two things are happening. One of two things. Either He is guaranteeing a promise, or He's creating something. And we looked at how in chapter 13, the the Spirit's presence was a guarantee that if they followed God, they would make it to the promised land. All they had to do was follow Him. Which seems simple, but it's always easy to say until God starts leading you the wrong direction. Right? God said, here we're going to go to Canaan, it's north, so let's go this way, it's south. And that's why Pharaoh is going to say in verse 3, right, Israel, they're wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. Right? He hears that they go south, and he says, well, they're lost. They're not, they don't know where they're going. They're just going in circles. They're stuck in the wilderness, which means they're vulnerable. All the more so because God tells them to camp at these two places, Pai Haharoth and Baal Zephon by the Red Sea. Where exactly these places are, we're not entirely sure. But the important part is that Israel is encamped right next to the Red Sea, which means their backs are against a wall. And in Pharaoh's eyes, this means they have nowhere to run. And God led them there. God told them where to camp. So we ask, why? Does God want Israel to be vulnerable? Does he want to entice Pharaoh to chase after them? And the answer is, verse 4, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. He will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. In other words, yes, the Lord has intentionally led Israel into a vulnerable situation. But it's so that he can have the final victory. But that's all well and good from God's perspective. But from Israel's perspective, this is not good. 
So in verses 5 through 9, Pharaoh assembles his army and pursues Israel and catches up to them at their encampment by the sea. And now Israel has the impassable Red Sea on one hand and Pharaoh's army of chariots and cavalry and soldiers, an an invincible army on the other side. They're stuck. It almost feels like an execution to them. Israel's back is against the wall, and the firing squad has their guns trained on them. And so, no wonder that in verses 10 through 12, Israel says, uh, they say, When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. The people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Israel feels like a cornered animal. There's no way out. And they're afraid. And so in their fear, they lash out. They accuse God of trying to kill them. They accuse Moses of leading them astray. They say to Moses, well, if you just listened to us, we wouldn't be in this situation. It would have been better for us to never follow God. And so they push away Moses. And they push away God. The only one who can actually help them. Because they're afraid. Fear is a defense mechanism. Because when you feel hurt and scared, you lash out. It's, it's an attempt to control when you feel helpless. Sure, you can't go back in time to change how you got into your circumstances, but you can blame the people you think got you there. And you can say and do mean things to teach them a lesson. That's exactly what Israel does. So through Israel's eyes, things are hopeless. There's no way out. They're about to die. And they have no hope. But now let's look at the situation through God's eyes. Verses 13 through 14, Moses says, And Moses said to the people, Don't be afraid. Stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. In other words, stand still. Keep your mouth shut. Watch God. Because the most important part of these two verses is verse 14. The Lord will fight for you. The Lord has intentionally led his people into this impossible situation. From Israel's eyes, it's because clearly he wants to kill them. But from God's eyes, he led them there so that they would see him fight for them. He wanted Israel to know that he would fight for them no matter the odds. But he also led them there to humble them. 
Because I think that if there were even the tiniest sliver of a chance of salvation by their own ability, Israel would take it. But God makes sure that there's literally nothing. There's no shred, there's no chance that Israel can do or say anything to save themselves. Why? So that they would learn to stop looking for it. So that they would learn to stop looking at their lives through their own eyes. That they would start to learn to see their lives through God's eyes. Because what is impossible for us is possible for God. And so what does God do? What does he say? Verse 15. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. The solution is simple, people. Just walk through the sea. Duh. You can imagine Moses' face. What? God, that's an ocean. We can't really go there. Um, And God says, I know that. Not yet. But I'm going to split it in half like a woodcutter splits a log. So he says, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. Simple. That the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. Right? From our perspective, this is hopeless. There's no way out. You have an impassable road this way. You have an invincible army on this side. And God sees a way through and a way to defeat the enemy. Because to God, Pharaoh is an ant and the sea is a drop of water. But before the Lord casually does the impossible, verse 19 and 20 begin to show us that something deeper is going on spiritually. Because in verse 19 and 20 it says, Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was a cloud and darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Now these, these verses are confusing to read in English, even more so in Hebrew. Um, But here's what I think it means. The presence of the Lord moves from leading Israel in the front of the column to behind Israel, creating a physical barrier between Egypt and Israel. And on the Egypt side, the pillar of cloud casts darkness on them. But on the Israel side, they have light. But this is more than just a a physical reality. God is revealing the spiritual reality at the same time. Egypt and Israel are separated. They are not the same. God is with Israel. And He is not with Egypt. He has shown His light upon Israel. He has chosen them for Himself. And He is revealing to them... Something about himself in a way that he's not going to reveal to Egypt. Because twice in our passage, God says that the Egyptians shall know that he is the Lord. Verse 4 and verse 18. But what does that mean? What the Lord is saying is that through this Red Sea crossing, Egypt will know him as righteous and just judge. 
they are going to find out that God is just and that He judges sin. And Egypt is in the darkness, which means they are blind, they are lost, they are forsaken, and they are about to be thrown into the water, which in the Bible often means water represents judgment. Because to be cast into the sea or to be overwhelmed by the flood means that the Lord has judged you. And that's why Egypt will know God as judge. Because as he has cast him into the darkness, he's about to cast him into the water. Just like he did with Noah back in Genesis. But just like he did with Noah, while God judges sin for his people, he provides a way through the waters of judgment. Because Israel will, is about to find out a different side of God. Because Israel is in the light. Which means they're in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord is going to provide a path, not around, but through the waters of judgment. Just like he did with Noah and the ark. Egypt will know God as judge, but Israel is going to know God as Savior. As the one who rescues them from judgment. And so the Lord does it. And in the following verses, the Lord splits open the sea. The Egyptians are destroyed. God achieves victory over them. But Israel walks through the sea on dry ground. Israel walks through the waters of judgment safely. But here's the amazing thing. Because the Israel that emerges on the other side of the Red Sea is a different people than the ones who entered it. Because read verse 31. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord. And they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. That's a different heart altogether than the Israel who just said... God, don't you, you're leading us here to kill us. The Israel that enters the Red Sea is fearful and doubting. They're full of accusations and anger. But the Israel that emerges from the Red Sea, they believe the Lord. And they don't fear Pharaoh anymore. Now they fear God. Which means that they, they love him, they honor him, and they worship him. Israel has moved from fear to faith. That begs the question, so the Israel that emerged from the waters is a different one than the one that entered. What happened? What changed in the middle for this to happen? They were baptized. Paul says as much when he writes in 1 Corinthians, Our fathers were all under the cloud... And all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. In other words, when Israel walked through the sea, they were being baptized by the Spirit of God. Remember that when the Spirit shows up, He's either guaranteeing or He's creating. And here in the Red Sea, 
The Spirit is creating. New creation. Because the Israel that emerges are changed to have hearts of faith. But what about Egypt? Because in a sense, right, doesn't that mean that Egypt got baptized too? They were in the water? In a sense, yes. But they were baptized only by water. Because remember, they were in the darkness. The Spirit was not with them. And baptism with water alone is death. The only way to survive is to be raised to new life by the Spirit of God. Israel was in the light. They were baptized by water and the Spirit, and so they emerged from the waters of judgment alive and with hearts of faith. In a sense, Israel was killed, and they were raised again. Remember, in the intro, we said that the Red Sea crossing was like a a dramatized live action of the conversion experience. Israel begins with fear, doubt, hatred of God. They're estranged, they're alienated, they're enemies. Then they're baptized by the Holy Spirit. They pass through the waters of judgment unscathed, and they emerge believing God. Meanwhile, their enemies are destroyed, and God achieves victory. And the most important part, they contributed nothing to their own salvation. Stand firm, keep your mouth shut, watch God. This is conversion, but but played out on the big screen in a sense. Because this is exactly what it's like for us when we become converted. And when we look back at our own lives, we have gone from fear to faith. Not by any action of our own. What did we say or do? Nothing. God shone his light on us. We passed through the waters of God's judgment unharmed, while our enemies' sin and death were defeated. Because God himself fought for us while we were enemies. And just like how God did the impossible for Israel, he provided a path through the impassable. God continued to do that for his people. Because that's what the cross is. The cross is God doing the impossible. Providing a path of salvation for the hopeless and for the condemned. As when Jesus became man and lived a perfect life, and died on the cross and rose again. That was his victory. That was him getting glory over the enemies of sin and death. And that was him saving you from the waters of judgment. And how, you might ask, how does this save us? How can I partake in this salvation? By being baptized into Jesus' death. By the Spirit. Because through baptism by the Spirit, you are united to Christ. So that when Jesus was crucified, you were crucified. When He died, you died. 
And when he rose from the grave, when he was resurrected, you were resurrected too. And so as Paul says in Romans, so also you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Because your sins are dead and buried. But you have passed through the waters of judgment. And you are alive in Christ forever. But there's a reason that Paul says you must consider yourselves. Not because it's not true until you consider it. It is true. But because we need to keep coming back to this truth. Because we're going to continue to face crisis moments of faith. We're going to continue to find ourselves stuck and cornered and in a seemingly hopeless situation. And we'll have two choices. We could respond with fear. We could push away others. We could lash out. We could try to control it. Or we could believe God. And we could trust Him. We could believe that if he made a path for salvation for us, if he can do the impossible, he will continue to do it. Because he promises to fight for us. So remember, when you find yourself in that crisis moment, remember the God who split the sea. He fights for you. And you have only to be silent. I'd like to invite the elders forward that we can receive the Lord's Supper this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of your Son. We praise you for all that you've poured out for us on our behalf. We thank you that you have fought for us, that you continue to do so. Lord, help us to respond with faith instead of fear when life um, seems hopeless. When we feel stuck and cornered, help us, Lord, to look to you, our shield and our defender, instead of trying to defend ourselves. May you continue to conform us, Lord, to the image of your Son. In his name we pray. Amen.